Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Roaring 20s Podcast. Today, we have on with us Rania Fraser. She is a multi-award-winning narcissistic abuse recovery coach and hypnotherapist. We are so excited to have her. This is a super deep topic, an important topic. And Rania, we are just honored to have you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show to discuss this really, really important topic with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. And thank you for giving this topic a platform. It's so important. And we'll get into all the nitty gritty of it in just a moment. But Rania, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from. And if you don't mind saying how old you are since it's Roaring Twenties podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, my name is Rania Fraser and I am based in the UK. I split my time between the US and the UK usually. And uh, as you said, I am a trauma recovery coach and clinical hypnotherapist. And I'm one of the leading experts in the field of narcissistic abuse recovery. And yeah, I'm super passionate about this topic uh, because it has happened to me. So I know exactly how it feels when it happens how it feels after I know the frustrations and yeah so I am my age 40 40 sounds weird saying that it's not been that long (laughs) well you don't look it she's if you can see Rania right now she's got like this amazing pink hair (laughs) and like the most gorgeous skin you've ever seen so something to look forward to if that's what 40 looks like yeah that's what healing does you know like it literally it literally impacts uh, everything Yes, so the, the healing glow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, we're so excited to have you here on the show. And as me and Julia, we spoke about right before we hopped on that obviously the two of us are not experts on this topic. So we will definitely be, we, we may be corrected here and there. <laughs> uh, we want to make sure that we're talking about this topic super delicately since it is uh, a sensitive topic. So would you mind telling us a bit about what you do and really why, what led you to actually working in this field with your personal experiences? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't end up working in this kind of uh, field unless it has happened to you. And as Mm -hmm. I just said, I know exactly how it feels when you're going through it, because, you know, I have been there. And for me, it literally it happened overnight. So I went from and I was living in LA at the time. And I was what I felt on top of the world. Mm. uh, And I literally had everything except for a relationship, which I wasn't even looking for, you Mm. know, because I didn't feel like I needed anybody. But then I was introduced to someone. And literally within two days, that person became my everything. And within a matter of whatever, a week, maybe, my whole life had already come crashing down. And uh, of course, I didn't know what had happened mm-hmm. at that point because, you know, I was this really highly functioning person. I was head of finance for a multi-million dollar company. And I was always high functioning, self-confident, you know, and all of a sudden I wasn't functioning at all mm-hmm. and uh, was really struggling with my mental health. 
which was also new to me. And um, yeah, so I didn't know what had happened. And I that was the first time I actually tried therapy. And uh, she just said to me, I remember that so clearly when I was like, I was trying to explain <laughs> what was going on without having the language because if you don't know what's happening to you there is no way you can express it and somebody who hasn't experienced it you know doesn't understand the extent of of the horror that you're going through and I remember she just said to me oh I'm at a loss for words and I said what do you mean don't you hear this stuff every day and she said to me yeah but you're an extremely sad case and I just went like oh well thanks for that well that's helpful yeah no needless to say I didn't go back yeah and um so it basically got worse and worse and worse again I don't know what I'm dealing with at the time and then the only option I really had was drop everything that I had built for myself and um I went on the plane and went back to my parents house and I literally ran for my life uh still not knowing what was going on yeah but um, it literally cost me everything. It cost me my work. I lost my my visa, obviously, for the US. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my house. I lost my friends. Um, but I really had to remove myself from that situation. And then as I got back to, to Europe, um, again, back then, and we're talking six years ago, so the narcissistic abuse wasn't a thing. Right, right. And... Um, I tried to get help. I went to the doctor. He just went like, oh, you poor little girl, you know, time will heal all wounds and you'll oh be fine. God. And like really belittling as well. Yeah. And as if I'm like this drama queen. Yep. And um, yeah, so it was really, really difficult to find somebody who understood because nobody did. Yeah. I was yeah. very fortunate to then finally find a therapist. She didn't get it, get it. But she at least didn't make me feel judged. Yeah. And she was holding yep. the space for me. Yeah. And she could see something that I couldn't at the time because she was mm. believing in me, which I didn't anymore. Mm. So, right. Because then when people are questioning your experience, you probably start yeah. to question your own experience. Totally. Absolutely. And it's one of the most um, frustrating parts yeah. when you're experiencing this because you're really trying to make yourself understood right and everybody just looks at you like yeah whatever right and uh yeah sorry yeah no I was just saying that that's it's so hard and I think like you the way that you painted such a clear picture um I haven't had this exact experience and um but just in general and I don't want to touch on this topic too too much because I really want to focus on yours but just the way that you painted it in terms of like you are such a high functioning person. Right. And I think that that is what shocks a lot of people. I had an experience as well and we've all had our phases. Right. But it's like, you feel so disconnected from who you are that it's, it's all, it's like shocking. Um, so you, you painted it so well in the sense of almost feeling so confused by not only how you got there, but what led up to it. And I think especially not that we wish these experiences on people often, but especially if you haven't experienced anything similar and you're so used to functioning at a different um, energy, it's literally shocking. And I think that's why this other extreme of feeling like so broken and so um, confused and not having the right uh, guidance at the time, it's almost like, what the heck is happening? Um, So anyway, I'm very grateful for you to paint it in that way, because I think that a lot of people, especially people that listen to our show, whether it's after some big shifts or big 
life mm-hmm. events start to feel really lost and confused and yeah. because they don't feel like themselves they they truly just you know you you go inward you blame yourself and then you kind of exist out of this mm-hmm. um you know you're not you're not sure where to turn so yeah. I'm grateful for you sharing that but we do want to of course dive into the the nitty-gritty of this specific topic yeah one thing that actually just came up for me while you were talking which also um a lot of people experience because what I see is that abuse survivors actually don't fit in the box of what we think an abuse so mm. a victim would be, right. you know, yeah. because, you know, my clients, they are doctors, they are teachers, they are executives, they run Such their own business. Yeah. And um, as I said, I was a really high functioning person as well. I still am. It's who I am. It's my personality. Right. Um, but what I experienced then as this had happened to me was that people actually weren't taking seriously in what a bad state I was so they would just go like oh it's Ronnie she's gonna figure it out because Ronnie always figures everything out but in reality I was actually clinging on to dear life and uh, people still today don't really understand I think the the whole magnitude of what I was going through and that of course is a very lonely place to be in because First of all, it takes a lot of courage to ask for help because oh my gosh, yes. every abuse survivor that I know is so used to, you know, fighting their own battle. Mm. You know, they figure things out for themselves. They don't ask for help. But at this stage, you actually have to. Yeah. And then you get to the point and you finally ask for help and then people don't take it seriously. So that's a very, very... um painful part of of the journey and it happens to a lot of especially those high functioning people that had all their ducks in a row and all of a sudden they're looking at the ruins of their own lives yeah wow Rania I I can't thank you enough for sharing your story um and Brenda touched on it but I I exactly what you're saying you know asking for help and admitting that you know maybe you you've you've lost a part of yourself or you need help and you can't figure it out on your own is so hard especially like Brenda said like if you are used to being like a certain type or looked at like a certain type of person it could be such a vulnerable thing to be like I I need help and especially like then asking for it and and being not being validated for that is, you know, and that happens in so many areas, not just in abuse, but in other mental health situations, people are often, you know, not saying, oh, you like, you're just sad, you'll get over it. Or like, you know, really invalidating people's experience. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story, because hopefully, if someone is having a similar experience, whether it's with um, narcissistic abuse or any type of mental health uh, challenge that they will feel like it's okay to ask for help and you're not alone and you're not crazy and you're not making it up like it is valid and you are uh, like allowed to ask for the help that you need and hopefully you know now people like Rania exist and hopefully you'll find it on an easier path um, but I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing your story because it is, it's going to help and has already helped. I know mm-hmm. you're like the leading expert in this space. Um, so many people. So thank you for sharing it with us. We really, we really appreciate it. Yeah. You just made a really, really important point. It, what you just said, whatever it is that anybody who's listening 
is experiencing right now, anything they are feeling mm -hmm. is absolutely valid. And uh, being painted as that crazy person is a part of the whole yes. narcissistic abuse game. Yes. Right? Um, so I just want to tell everybody who's struggling right now, maybe with the emotional overwhelm, maybe with difficult to control emotions, uh, everything you're experiencing right now is absolutely valid. You are absolutely not crazy. And this is actually your mind and your body's very normal response to incredibly abnormal situations. So mm. um, please cut yourself some slack there because, um, you know, it's a very, I don't even know the right word. Um, when somebody has experienced narcissistic abuse, it's such a out of this world yes experience yeah that doesn't make any sense whatsoever yeah so um yeah please know if you're struggling right now it is unfortunately part of the journey but it's it's okay whatever it is that you're feeling yeah yeah absolutely that's so powerful I think that a, a big thing that Julie and I talk about when it comes to just like because we're in this hustle culture is I think we're afraid slash hesitant to to go too easy on ourselves like I even in circumstances that are not um you know to this to this extreme but just in the day-to-day -day, it's like oh you're, you're being too easy on yourself it's almost like we wear this badge of honor for like how hard can you like how much can you overcome when it's like essentially going asking for help going through healing identifying and really digging deep on some stuff that's really painful to talk about and uncover like like those are things to be proud of but they're really not celebrated in the same way so right. well, I love that you're, yeah. especially when you have to give up things in order to get there like like yeah. part of your story you had to move you had to give up your job you had to give up your house I think that that is probably something that you see that probably holds people back yeah. a lot of like that having to make a huge change in your life in order to get the help that you need and, and come back to yourself. And I, yeah. I can imagine that that is something that often stops people from seeking yeah. that yeah. recovery. Well, the good news on that is no matter what it is that we lose and uh, most of us literally lost everything. Once you actually do the healing work, what happens is that you become so authentically you yes. that obviously your inside changes, your outside changes. That's just how it works. Mm -hmm. And your life becomes just authentically you. It becomes yours. It becomes easy. It becomes beautiful. And um, whatever it is that we lost back then, I can tell you for certain what's awaiting you on the other side. Mm -hmm will make everything worth it because it's it comes from a very profound uh, very content place from the inside out mm. and that's very very different to how my life was functioning you know when I was in my mid-20s and my early 30s um, you know I was living in Hollywood and like you know I thought I was on top of the world as I told you but actually looking back now yeah. it was all so superficial whereas yeah. the life I have now it's just me. Yes. Yeah. I love Beautiful. that. Um, you mentioned in your story, having, not having the language to express mm -hmm. what you were feeling and language is so important and having vocabulary for our feelings and our experiences is huge. Um, is there a true definition for narcissistic abuse? What is the definition for that? I think it's kind of a little bit thrown around. I don't yeah. know if there is a true definition for it, but how would you 
freaking yeah, see, out. See, that's the thing. Six years ago, it meant absolutely nothing. Now right. it means something, but at the same time, it's being overused or yes. misused yes. a lot. Right? Yes. So uh, narcissistic abuse is emotional and psychological abuse perpetrated perpetrated by somebody who uh, um, exhibits narcissistic traits. So oftentimes it's brought in connection with narcissistic personality disorder. But one thing that's very important to understand is that most narcissists don't have a clinical diagnosis because, you know, they don't have a criminal record. They they aren't high up on the spectrum because we are talking about like a scale, right? Mm. Um, so even somebody who's lower on the scale who just exhibits narcissistic tendencies still causes a lot, a lot of damage. Obviously, the further up you go on the spectrum, you know, when we talk about a psychopath, no self-awareness, no emotions, no conscience, like nothing, no empathy, right? Um, so um, I think what's really important to understand is that your standard narcissist doesn't have a diagnosis. It can literally be your neighbor, your parent, your coworker, your friend. Uh, obviously, it's not exclusive to a romantic uh, yes. relationship. So uh, the, the reason why I call it narcissistic abuse uh, recovery or narcissistic abuse is because it basically covers the whole spectrum because every psychopath is a narcissist but not every narcissist is a, psych a, psych a psychopath mm -hmm. yeah so I think it's really really important to understand that it's not only people that have a diagnosis of yes uh, NPD Yes. And yeah. I think it's so important that you pointed out it, this is not just for romantic relationships. This can exist in friendships. This can in, exist in familial relationships. And we'll get into some of those a little further on in the show. But thank you for mentioning that at the top, yeah. because I think it is also like people just associate it with romantic relationships. And and um, that could be little your experience if you're having it in a in another type of relationship. Yeah, so, sometimes it comes all together, you know, so somebody yeah. might have a narcissistic relationship, but at work experiencing the same thing. Right. And I'm sure we'll be talking about how we find ourselves in those situations. Yes. But uh, that that can happen. Or yeah. it can be the exact opposite, like it was for me, where work wise, you know, everything was fantastic. You know, I was running the show, right. but then I would leave and within my own four walls, it would be a completely different story. So that's possible as well. Yeah, definitely. No, that makes so much sense. And I feel like something that we've seen too in, in different types of relationships is I'm happy you mentioned the thing about like, how did I end up here? Because I think it's so easy to not only make excuses for somebody, but also to kind of blame yourself and be like, oh, I must be doing something wrong. Maybe I'm almost like triggering this in someone. Like it's so the more that you bring certain things up, I just think of different instances of people that we know and that we love that have just kind of blamed themselves, including how did I end up in this situation? How did I let myself get here, right? Because I think that we love to feel, of course, that we hold ourselves and our people to a high standard. So it's like, how how did I let end up here? Um, but what do you think are like some questions that we can ask ourselves to or someone who thinks they might be in this type of situation, what are some some questions they can ask themselves to kind of identify, like, is this, am I experiencing this right now? Because it's easy to, one, make excuses, and two, blame yourself. Very, very fantastic point you're making, because everywhere you see, like, oh, the red flags, mm -hmm. the narcissists, and tick, yeah. tick, tick. 
And uh, as you said, it's very easy to make excuses for somebody else's behavior, right? They had a bad day at work or whatever. They had a bad upbringing. That's usually, they, they all have a sob story, right? That they are using as an excuse. And they also obviously make us feel like it's our fault because of our behavior, because of what we said, they had to react in a certain way. And then we find excuses again. So it's a fantastic question from you. Um, what can we actually ask ourselves? Because once we look at ourselves, our experience, there is no denying, like this is actually there, right? We can't find an excuse for that. So um, those questions are basically based on quotes, right? That I hear from every single survivor I work with and I know that I've said them myself mm -hmm. so ask yourself am I constantly walking on eggshells that's a big one um, because in a normal relationship whether it's a romantic relationship a friendship a family or at work usually we don't walk on eggshells we don't have to because we are safe right and uh, whereas in a narcissistic relationship, it's the whole mask on, mask off, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You never know who you're dealing with. Right. Um, you never know what you say that could unleash the monster, mm -hmm. if you will. So what happens is that we start walking on eggshells, kind of trying to avoid to find ourselves in that situation. But of course, what it does is we're compromising ourselves, right? Our needs, our values, um, our feelings just to accommodate uh you know the the other person to not get into that situation so am i walking on eggshells if the answer is yes it's a high indication that um the relationship is dysfunctional uh, another question is do i not recognize the person looking back at me in the mirror that's a big one mm -hmm. every single person who comes to me doesn't recognize the person in the mirror some don't see anything at all anymore because what narcissistic abuse does is it erodes our identity it literally takes everything we are so then all of a sudden when we look in the mirror we don't know who that person is because that person isn't us yeah. and uh so yeah if that's uh something that has popped up in your mind when you look in the mirror definitely an indication that tactical identity erosion has taken place there a big one for me and that's that was when I didn't have the language because I always wanted to explain what was going on for me mm. and I would always go like I don't know what's wrong with me I feel like an addict mm. so if you've said something along the lines of I feel like an addict or he or she is my heroine or something along those lines. Mm. Definitely uh, an, an abusive relationship. Yeah. And we, I'm sure we'll be talking more about that as well, because what we're talking about here is an actual addiction. Yeah. Uh, what else can we ask? We can ask, um, did I know that something was wrong from the start? Mm. Because every single person I know who's experienced narcissistic abuse knew from the very first moment that something wasn't quite right but because the narcissist offers something that we are so desperate for at that point we override our intuition yeah. and uh, that's something once we get out of it we tend to beat ourselves up about because you know we're smart people right and we allowed this to happen yeah even though we knew 
so uh if you look back now if you're in a situation right now where you are really unhappy and you know deep down that something is wrong and you can actually if you're honest with yourself remember the very beginning and that sensation but you couldn't put your finger on it that's mm. an indication mm. and uh, as i just said if you're really un incredibly unhappy right now but for some reason you just simply can't leave mm. or if you try to leave you literally went into withdrawal symptoms yes where uh, where all of a sudden you know like i i remember i had physical responses my whole body was shaking Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and then then what happens is that we go back right. just to make it stop right so um are you feeling incredibly unhappy right now but for whatever reason you can't leave that's a very big indication for a trauma bond there mm -hmm. yeah that makes that makes so much sense everything you've shared it's like honestly like it's it's mind-blowing and it's it's so specific and I think it's going to be tremendously helpful I am curious though, and I'm hope I'm going to ask this question correctly. What about in a in a situation? Because I think at least, and do feel free to chime in. I feel like for a lot of people that we love, that we've heard of just a, a difficult relationship and stuff like that, they mention that it's the thing that they cling on to is the initial, like the start of a relationship, right? Where they're like, oh, it was so positive, and like, yeah. um, you know, so. What about if people are clinging to like this almost like mm. ideal version of someone? Um, even if that's not the version they're experiencing now, but you're almost kind of, I don't want, it's not lying to yourself. You're, you're convincing yourself that it's different. Like what, what advice would you give someone who might be, um, clinging to that? And then also clinging to, um, I guess like the length of time and whatnot of the, the relationship. Yeah. So it's one of the almost impossible things to get your head around mm -hmm. um, but it's something that everyone who has experienced narcissistic abuse literally just has to accept it's the mm -hmm. only way that version that we were shown especially in the beginning of the relationship was never real and what happens actually is narcissists they match and mirror their victim to such an extent that you fall in love with yourself so they basically hold up a mirror and that's how they become this most amazing person you've ever met in your whole life that first wow. person ever who hears you and sees you and just gets you mm -hmm. and um of course you know you have all the love bombing in the beginning and mm -hmm. uh that's uh again we already mentioned right. the trauma bonding so what yeah. happens basically is at that point um there's a lot of chemical reactions happening in the brain because if you think about it what's the highest high there is it's love Absolutely. right like love makes us do incredible things yep. it makes us invincible yeah and what happens basically is that at that point you know a lot of happy chemicals come in and uh, feel good hormones right so we have a lot of oxytocin we have a lot of dopamine and that obviously under normal circumstances would be a good thing because right. those are the kinds of hormones that actually make us feel connected yep. to people. That's the bonding. Help us bond yep. with people. But what happens with the narcissist because of the love bombing and it, everything is so extreme is that actually the, the brain becomes chemically dependent on that because it gets so overexposed, but then they take it away, mm -hmm. right? 
So then what happens, it gets replaced with cortisol, right? We go into stress oh response, gosh, there's so a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. And uh, then that's where the clinging on to happens, right? right? Because at that point, we're already hooked, yeah. but they took it away. Mm. And if you think about it that way, that literally makes the narcissist, the drug yes. and the drug dealer at the same time, because yeah. they become completely in control when we are allowed to get our next hit, right? And because they have shown us that it's possible that's what we're clinging on to. So everybody who does, um, for one, I would really recommend to step outside uh, and, and look at it from the outside in to realize that actually it's uh, a chemical reaction in the brain. It's not actually real, right? It was a show, an illusion that was created. And as a result of that, the chemistry kicked in. Yeah. Right? So... Um, that's a very important thing to realize because when we talk about trauma bonding, our brain is, is designed to latch onto everything that basically um, makes us feel good, right? Or helps yeah. us through a difficult time. But of course, if the person who's actually helping us through that difficult time is the person who creates it in the first place, that means we're in trouble. So it's really, really important to, to realize that this is actually not, it feels like love, but it actually isn't love. It's a full sense of, of uh, loyalty. And uh, as I said, that sensation that, oh, I need this person to yeah. survive. So if you are clinging on to those good moments, those five minutes, yeah. please know that I know it's not what anybody wants to hear, but they weren't real. They were designed to serve the purpose to get you hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ronya, for sharing that. That was going to be my next question of like what actually happens to our brain and our body when we're in this type of mm -hmm. relationship dynamic. Um, and you had related it to a drug before. And I think that that's the clearest that I have ever heard that explanation yeah. um, of them being the drug and the drug dealer. And so thank you for breaking that down like that and we know that you know abusive relationships can often be like vicious cycles like someone can be in one and then be in another and I think that kind of has helped me understand like why someone keeps going back to something like that but my question out of that is when you're trying to break that cycle when you're trying to get out of that how can we can someone give themselves compassion in that? Because like we were talking about earlier, there's like so much blame of like, how did I let myself get here? And even if you have the understanding of the science of what is going on in your brain and body, I think it's still so easy to be like, but I let myself get there. So how does one give themselves compassion when they're trying to break out of this obviously very very difficult um cycle um it's actually one of the things i deal with my clients first thing uh to remove you know that blame that anger <laughs> at oneself allowing it to to happen but i think one thing and it's one of my favorite mantras actually is everybody does the best they can with what they have and I use it when somebody's 
getting on my nerves, really annoying me. You know, I charmed it in my head like three times. Everybody does the best they can with what they have because did they have more resources, more tools, they obviously would do something differently. But the same applies to us as well, right? So everybody does the best they can with what they have. You did the best you could with what you had at the time. And if you think back, we didn't know that narcissists exist. Mm. We didn't know that that this is even possible, right? So now, you know, you have way more information than you've had before, Mm -hmm. which means with this information, obviously, you naturally will do things differently. Mm. And I think um, if anybody is really struggling with self-compassion, um that's a good mantra to have something to remind yourself of because if you had known if you had had the tools and resources if you had done the healing that wouldn't have happened but you didn't yeah but now you know now you can navigate from here yeah definitely no and that's so powerful because I feel like shame and me and Julia talk about shame all the time shame and guilt and all that stuff but I just it it's obviously a very difficult feeling to feel and it can be so consuming if it's not, I don't even know if I want to say dealt with properly, but it's like feeling that alone um, and not really knowing where to turn is stressful. I'm sure it does all kinds of hard things on our bodies and our minds. So when I think about a situation like this, I, I keep having this picture in my mind of you painting, you know, just leaving everything behind because you you had to, you know, that was that was the the answer. And I think that that's something that people ultimately put a lot of pressure around. You know, it's almost like maybe being on the other side of it, they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful that I, that I made that choice, but I'm certain. And it's maybe you felt this too in that moment is in, in there, it could feel so scary to actually make that choice to leave or to, to take a step that isn't staying. Right. So for someone that's in a situation right now, they've asked themselves all of the questions and all of the answers have been, yes, this is the case. Yes, I'm unhappy. Um, you know, I, I, I can't recognize myself. All of those questions that you mentioned, what advice do you have for someone that wants to leave but is is scared, doesn't or doesn't want to or all those feelings that come up? So I didn't want to leave right I mean I left my whole life behind but I had to leave I knew if I stayed I would be dead within the next four weeks I knew that so for me it was literally survival instinct kicking in Um, and that's the thing with abusive relationships right so um, some relationships are emotionally abusive and physically abusive some relationships are emotionally and psychologically abusive and um, in some situations there actually is danger I mean the most dangerous part is leaving right so it's really really important that everybody who wants to leave has a safety net in in place now in most cases the perceived threat doesn't stand in relation with the actual threat right so that's also important to understand but because we're talking about abusive relationships it is dangerous or can be dangerous to leave so uh, it's really important to have a safety net in place somewhere to go to uh, whether that's friends or families 
whether, you know, like, for example, here in the UK, um, Boots, which is like a pharmacy, like a drugstore uh, kind of thing, they have like confidential booths oh, where, you can, where you can um, go. Wow. Uh, of course, there are the national helplines as well. So getting out is, um, yeah, it's important to have a safety net in place. If you can, I highly recommend to just disappear for a while. But of course, that's not like that's what I did. I basically disappeared from the face of the earth for two years. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, that's not an option for everybody because oftentimes there are children involved as well. Yes. So that makes it uh, even more important to have like a safe place um, to go to to remove yourself. And um, what's really, really important is to really minimize, not minimize, like cut the contact right um as soon as possible because remember we're dealing with a drug addiction mm. which means when we leave we need to cut off our supply because otherwise they will always find a way to lure us back in whether that's through threat or whether that's through love because yeah. the mask comes back on yes. um so it's really really important to cut all the contact um immediately really and if there are children involved, it's important that any kind of contact is highly, highly modified because they will sneak their way in. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's for another show, but having children in the mix, I, I imagine, is a whole different ball game. But thank you for, for sharing all those resources. And it, it it's like you said earlier, that is all extremely difficult and to have to give up those things is extremely difficult. But what you'll find on the other side, like you did in your experience is something so much greater. And I think, you know, that is something to cling on to, you know, of course, the um, survival instinct of it is, is one thing and that is enough. Um, but also to have that hope that the other side will be better, I think is really important to remember. And like you mentioned earlier, people can often feel like they don't even recognize themselves in the mirror when they're in this type of situation. How then after, after you do, after you leave the situation, after you get out, how do you begin to recognize yourself again? My answer to that is self-care and actually anything that has to do with getting better from narcissistic abuse, my answer is self-care. And everybody who's listening right now is, and has experienced narcissistic abuse is probably cringing right now because in their whole life, they most likely have never done anything for themselves because that's just how they are wired, right? always putting other people's needs first and uh, that's I mean that faulty wiring is what got us into trouble in the first place right never taking care of our needs mm -hmm. um, but self-care really is the key to start recognizing yourself in the mirror again to find back to you because as we said it's the identity that's being taken from us right now the thing is your core is still there you just have to go and get her, right? 
Um, and self-care helps in so many different ways because also when we talk about the chemical reactions in the brain and the trauma bonding, uh, so what happens is abuse survivors are so hooked on the narcissist and the good experiences, right? And that's what makes narcissistic abuse so dangerous, the good experiences. So one thing that's very important to understand is that your brain can't distinguish whether something's happening for real or whether you're imagining it. For your mind and your body, it's happening as if it's happening right now, right? So as you keep replaying those good memories, what does it do? It feeds it straight into your addiction, mm-hmm. right? Because you create those chemical reactions in your brain, the oxytocin, the dopamine. Yes. So to break the trauma bond, to to disconnect from all of that, what do we need to do? We need to shift the focus. So we need to find something that makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. And self-care is designed to make us feel good, right? Yeah. And it comes with a lot of resistance. And I know that I had to learn it as well. But the beautiful thing is that we can learn it and it's designed to make us feel good. So actually, uh, very quickly, you get into the whole like, oh, this feels really nice. So actually, um, why it's so important for the healing, the self-care is because it gives you the control to actually create chemical reactions in your brain that make you feel good. So you're not dependent on somebody else to do that. Mm, yeah, definitely. That That's so powerful. And I think that I'm, I'm certain that if, if someone's listening, I think it's probably also even difficult to conceptualize that some like something else could replace that type of feeling. But I think it's, it's hearing stories like yours, right. That you were able to, to find something like that, that I think really does give that level of hope. Cause I think at, at first, um, not at first glance at first, when you first hear something like that, it's like, Oh, but can I really create that feeling? But it's so, it's so cool that you really can find things to replace that. And I think that in the same way as like when you, I don't know, maybe it is meet with like a a therapist or a counselor or something like that, that it might not be the right thing right away, right? That you Mm. are going to have to probably do some trial and error on, on creating that type of feeling. Do you have, um, do you have any things specific that either worked for you or that you found has worked with most of your clients in terms of self-care in, in where to start? Because if, if someone's listening and they're maybe just like you said, have never, incorporated something like that what's one of your favorites or most impactful Uh, one of my favorites is um I do something or I teach my clients something yeah uh, just as a little example and everybody can do and do that like straight away uh which is called count or I call it counting chimneys it's a bit of a British thing because we have so many chimneys (laughs) um yeah. uh, but it's not really about the chimneys right you can count tree tops or clouds or whatever so basically if you're feeling down if you're feeling depressed um what do you do you walk around you look on the ground right that's that's our physiology when when we are down or you lie on the couch so um right. when our physiology is down we tend to feel you know down but when our physiology is up, our mind can't be down because our physiology and our mind is connected, right? Yeah. So if you're feeling down, for example, instead of, you know, lying on the couch watching Netflix, just sit up. That will already make a difference in how you feel. Um, right. But counting chimneys is go outside, walk around the block. It doesn't have to be like a whole hike or whatever, like go out for a few minutes, 
but walk around the block and really consciously count the chimneys, count the treetops, count the clouds, whatever it is, because what it will uh, make you do is look up. And when your mind is up, your body can't be uh, your when your body is up, your mind can't be down. Mm. So if you do that and you walk around the block, you will instantly change the way you feel. Counting oh, chimneys. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So that's just like a little, a little, uh, very practical yeah. thing. And, uh, you know, the self-care, it's not like when you type into Google and go like, oh, the top 10 self-care things and it's doing the nails and doing the hair and this and that. Yes, that as well. Um, but self-care goes so much deeper than that. And there is um, a really profound way to do self-care where you actually start caring for yourself and your needs and you learn to listen to yourself and uh, again it's not easy it doesn't come natural uh, to us however as I said um, it's something that we can learn and I actually have a a 28 day self-care challenge which is very specifically designed uh, for for that purpose um, to to find back to you after narcissistic abuse and it's literally me dishing out a buffet uh, of all the tools that I have like the counting chimneys for yeah. example so every day you get a new tool and you can go and try it out if you like it you put it in your toolbox if you don't know well you come back and pick it up uh, later but self-care is a really practical thing yeah. to do oh, wow. I absolutely love it yeah it's it's incredible yeah Brenda go ahead share your thoughts yeah no I was just gonna say I I love that and I think especially one because I we don't know where to start but two isn't it just isn't it funny because the way that you said that it's almost like you you start to learn how because there are so many scenarios and we use it as examples here or with our friends where it's like if it was a friend you were talking to you would never talk to them like that or even when it comes to what they deserve like there have been so many instances where our best friends in the world were like uh-uh like you deserve so much I'm so proud of you and it's so funny how we I mean it's not funny necessarily it's it's kind of it's crummy sometimes but it's the reality of it we have a much more difficult time holding that type of like worth and and enoughness and, and all that stuff with ourselves so I think something at least I've been trying um is when it feels like it's we're kind of working against ourselves to an extent. And instead of leaning into that self-care is I really try and put myself in the place of like, what would I say to my best friend? What would I say to Julia? You know, how would I tell Julia to, um, to, to handle this? Cause it's like, I have, I have another thing that you can ask yourself actually, like, uh, what would you, what would you tell the little you, the Mm. little Brenda? Yeah. The three-year-old, the four-year-old, the five-year-old rather than your best friend. Yeah. And uh, it's quite interesting what you said. I'm actually glad that you brought it up because um, obviously narcissistic abuse doesn't happen to us for no reason, right? Because they had something that they were dangling in front of our nose and we were like so desperate to have it. And you just talked right. about the worthiness, you know, being loved. We all want to be loved. We all want to belong. But if we have a faulty programming running in the background unconsciously, that's what gets us into trouble, right? And when we talk about deep healing, that's exactly what we do because we can actually run an update on our programming, same way as we will run an update on a computer because sometimes programs are faulty from the get-go. Sometimes they're outdated and they don't serve us any longer. And that's where the deep healing comes in, right? So, uh, so we don't need that external validation. 
anymore. We don't have need anybody to prove us that we are lovable, that we are worthy because we know from deep inside that we actually are. And yeah. that's, that's why the healing is so important, actually, because once this is updated, no narcissist has ever anything to offer to us anymore. And we don't have anything to offer to them either um, because it disrupts the dynamic, right? Yeah. So the hook is not working anymore. And they won't have interest in us either because they only do what they can because they can. Right. Until yeah. they can't. And then that's why it's so, so, so important to break that dynamic because otherwise what's going to happen? You get out of one relationship and the next relationship is probably even worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love that you mentioned something about like updating our programming because I think that that's actually, that's a huge reason why Julia and I do this show is that for a long time, even in our own personal circumstances, we really were, I think it's so, it's so easy to go to this place of, oh, I just am the way that I am. Oh, this can't be shifted. Like little things like that. So I love that sense of being able to update our programming it's not easy in all different ways based on society based on our relationships everything but I love that you are offering that it's actually easy what did you say the the update itself is very easy you just need the right uh, tools and the right support to do that Um, but once you do and that's one of the things like narcissistic abuse recovery it's not something you do on your own you can't because it's really one of those situations where you need somebody who can share tools and resources with you that you simply don't have at the time but once you actually uh, um, have somebody who can share it with you the update is really Mm. quick Mm. that was going to be my next question for you Anya for someone we we need to we do need support in order to heal but for someone who doesn't know where to get the resources or can't afford a mm-hmm. coach or 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 um a therapist or or whatever it may be where would you point that person if that's not readily available to them yeah so uh one thing about the not being able to afford uh i just want to touch on because what oftentimes also happens i mean Yes, financial abuse is oftentimes a big part uh, of an abusive relationship. However, oftentimes what also happens is that um, abuse survivors don't feel like they deserve to spend money on themselves. Mm. So they will go like, I can't afford this when Mm. actually you could. But it's um, money is oftentimes connected with self-worth. And if somebody feels uh, unworthy of spending money on themselves or their well-being or their healing, then oftentimes the uh, um, issue with money comes in, right? So one that I just want to point that out because um, everybody deserves to feel good and everybody deserves to heal, right? So that's one thing. And I think it's very important to, to be aware of that if maybe that program is running yeah, yeah, for yeah. somebody. Um, now, of course, money can be an issue. Um, what I can recommend is uh, there is a lot of free resources out there um, on, on YouTube or um, I have some free resources on my website as well. Uh, I would look out for uh, maybe group coaching rather than one-on-one coaching. As I said, for example, the 28-day self-care challenge, 
it's a very very affordable uh, way to kickstart the the recovery for example um, it's very important to stay away from support groups online um, especially the ones that uh, have like trigger warnings and those kind of things where it's basically just about telling your story because remember your brain can't distinguish whether something's right. happening for real or whether you're not. so interesting. Yeah. So if you keep telling your story, that's also why counseling isn't suitable mm. for complex trauma because when you talk about it, when you analyze it, you know, it's happening over and over mm. again. So there are a lot of things that we can actually do ourselves. Uh, I have a free ebook on my website as well. Uh, if anybody is interested, so uh, it also shows a timeline um, that because when we experience narcissistic abuse, it's like this big black nothingness <laughs> that right, we are right, thrown right. into. Um, so my recommendation really is for one, assess whether it's really not affordable or whether that's a faulty program. Um, there are some really good resources out there, depending on what stage you are at as well. Um, at one point, uh, you will come to this stage where you know everything you need to know. And I'm not saying everything there is to know, because every day somebody comes up with something new. Everything you need to know, mm. and then the focus needs to shift, mm. you know. So shifting the focus away from what has happened, away from the narcissist, onto yourself, mm. the self-care, your healing. Um, that's something that everybody needs to do for yes. themselves. Um, that's cool. something that's for free, right? Yeah. Um, so there are a lot, as I said, there are a lot of things that we can do ourselves. Uh, shifting the focus, going yeah. no contact, stop telling our story. Um, and I'm not saying you don't have the right to tell your story, but there's a yes. place and there is a time um, yes, because once you actually do your healing, the way you tell your story is very differently right. to right. when you are activated. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah um, that, that makes so much sense. And what about, I, I guess the, the thing that I think about when you're talking about sharing your story and all, all of those things is if if we are a friend to, or someone listening is a friend or family member of someone that they know, or maybe have an assumption might be experiencing this, how can we be of support to someone without, you know, yeah, how can we be of support to someone? Because it's obviously a little bit of a tricky interaction. Yeah, it's very tricky, especially when there is a disconnect um, mm -hmm. of understanding what the person is going through, because Absolutely. simply for the reason that your brain can't comprehend Mm. what has happened right right so it's not like you're not meaning well of course you want to help your friend you want to help your family member however there is this big big disconnect so uh that's something to keep in mind so i would suggest to really avoid giving advice um because the advice most likely will make the survivor feel misunderstood and mm. judged because yeah. the, the advice just simply doesn't apply sure yeah um and simply just letting them know that no matter what that you are there so you know listen give them a hug um you know encourage them to find professional help and as i said it's okay to ask for help it's it's really a situation where help is necessary mm -hmm. encourage them to to find help 
uh, reminding them to shift their focus. But again, if you're a family member or a friend, you know that might have the opposite uh, effect when they get very defensive. Mm -hmm. So really just educate yourself so you maybe understand better. Mm -hmm. but please be aware that the disconnect is not going to disappear just because you know the theory behind mm -hmm. it yeah yeah Absolutely. i think the most important thing is to remind them that they are not alone because it's the loneliest place anyone could ever imagine going through um the the breakup and the recovery yeah definitely that's so helpful. And I think especially because a lot of us are very prone, we see advice as wanting to help. And I think that a lot yeah. of times in the same way that we were like, please correct us in any way is we're not informed or we haven't had certain experiences. And in such a sensitive situation, it's it's easy to come off as like, not a know-it-all, but to an extent you're trying to help and it might not always come off that way. So I think that showing support and showing people that they're not alone is is beautiful. Advice. I think another thing to yeah. well, what's important to understand here is that the person you're trying to help is not the person anymore that you think you know. Mm. So yeah. um, the way you may have known somebody uh, is is very different to the person sitting in front of you right now. Right. So yeah. you might have an idea of them or expectations of their old them. Yes. But it all them doesn't exist anymore at that point, like in in the very highly acute stage, it's basically like there's nothing left, yeah, right. So you're basically just talking to a shell that looks like somebody you once knew. And uh, I think that's also important to understand because I remember when I came back from the u s, people that hadn't seen me in five years obviously had no idea what I had experienced and that yeah. I wasn't doing very well right. um, but in their heads because I looked the same right so they just thought it was the old Ronnie so they would treat me like the old Ronnie but I couldn't be treated like the old Ronnie because my mental health was poorly you know I I stopped drinking I didn't party anymore and like all those kind of things and then people kind of had a really hard time dealing with the fact mm. that I wasn't me yes. anymore. So when you are dealing with a friend or a family member, keep that in mind as well, that the person you knew, mm. like the core, as I said, is still there. But at that point, the person you're dealing with um, is just somebody who looks like someone you once knew. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Ronya, I, th I, I can't thank you enough for all of the incredible wisdom that you've shared with us. I I know Brenda and I could keep you here all day um, because this topic is so deep. And every time you speak, I'm like, oh my God, I have more questions um, because it is so complex, but you really do have a way of making it very tangible um, mm -hmm. in terms of identifying and healing. And I just can't thank you enough for the time that you've you've given us today to to talk about this super deep topic and, and sharing your experience as well um so 
we just have two little last questions before we let you go, even though <laughs> we want you here forever. Um, this question is a little different than the rest. Uh, we ask it to all of our guests and it could be about this topic or it could just be something else. Um, but if you could tell 20s year old Rania one thing, what would you tell her? 20 year old? Yeah, in 20s? your 20s, in your 20s. In my 20s, I would tell myself, trust your instinct mm. or your intuition. Yeah. If something feels wrong, it's because it is. Mm -hmm. It's hard to yeah. do sometimes to trust to trust that. Yeah, yeah for and, sure. Uh, but that that's that's like the golden rule. Yeah. And yeah. again, it's something that comes back through the healing because you actually learn to reconnect. Uh, because we all have that gift of the mm -hmm. intuition we just override it so yes. yeah. yeah trust Absolutely. trust your instincts I love that definitely and our last question for you is where can people find you if they want to connect with you if they want to see any of your offerings all that good stuff sure so uh, my website is ronyafraser.com I do have a free master class coming up about mm. the, the it's called the road to recover me so the, the timeline that I was just referring to very briefly, um, which will help everybody to see where they're at right now, how far they've already come, which is probably much further than they think they are, mm. and uh, what lies ahead, uh, which is on the 27th of October, um, which is ronyafraser.com forward slash masterclass. Uh, the self-care challenge is on fraser.com forward slash self-care that starts on the 1st of November, 28 days live coaching with so me. Exciting. Cool. Um, I'm on social media, obviously, Facebook, Instagram, rock and roll coach Ronnie. Uh, I'm on TikTok now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I took the leap. So please do find me on TikTok, Ronia.fraser. Amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah so I mean you can just google my name and you'll find me it's uh, it's not that hard yes yes and I will include all of the resources in the show notes so that she's just a click away or if you or if anybody you know um needs amazing Rania Rania thank you so so much thank for you. being with us this has been extremely educational and I, I can't thank you enough thank you Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With, with love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.